I'm going to continue talking about uh, the Christmas story and the lessons we can get from that this morning. So it's the second part of what I'm talking about, Angels and Kings. I'm going to finish that uh, with, a, with a shorter talk next week. So if you want to find it, you need to find Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at a, a different visit of an angel from the one we looked at last week. We're going to look at the angel visiting Mary. And uh, so I've got a title for this morning, and it's called How to Conceive a Miracle. <laughs> yeah? It took me ages thinking of that title, absolutely ages. Um, but there is a point to that in that there is real lessons we can learn from this about how the, man, the miraculous manifests in our life. And um, you see, the, the, the way this works is that God has set up the universe to work in certain ways. And he follows those ways himself. So if we can observe what is taking place and how God operates, then we can understand how those, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven can operate and manifest in our life too. Uh, so that's the point of this morning. So Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So, the sixth month of what? Now, if you remember what I talked about last week, Gabriel had already been to visit Zacharias, and uh, Zacharias had been told that he and Elizabeth were going to have a, a baby in their old age, and that he was going to be the promised one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. So, after 400 and something years of silence, suddenly God started to invade the earth. And... Uh, so the, the forerunner, John the Baptist, is on the way. And actually, the sixth month isn't the sixth month of the year. What it's referring to, you find out later on, is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So John kept, uh, the, God kept his promise. And um, Elizabeth got pregnant, even though she was barren and old. And she got pregnant. And John the Baptist is on the way. So he's, he's six months uh, in the womb. And that's what this is talking about. Now, at that point, Gabriel, the angel, comes back because he has something else to be delivered from the kingdom of heaven. Uh, 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 he has a message for a young girl called Mary. And um, what he says is this, that, that Mary is going to have a baby and he's going to be the Messiah. And one of the things that we see here when we look at this passage is in, when we get to verse 27, it says that Mary was a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and, we emphasize it, the virgin's name was Mary. And, you know, I, I don't know if people, you know, get excited about this or not these days, but th there has been... Uh, particularly high-profile people within the, 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 the body of the church who said, well, you don't have to believe in a virgin birth to be a Christian. And well, I, have, I have a number of problems with that. Firstly, the Bible says that there was a virgin birth. The second thing is that that virgin birth was promised in the Old Testament. It was a sign that this, this child was going to be the Messiah. But... More importantly, without a virgin birth, there is no Messiah. You see, 
we've got to understand that what God is doing here is he is coming in flesh. Not a child is born. A God in human form is born. God himself in human form is born. And you see, that was necessary. That was necessary because if Jesus was just the product of two sinful human beings having having sex, then he also would be born with original sin as a result of the fall of Adam. So there has to be something that breaks that. And so if you have no virgin birth, you have no Christ who is born that breaks that line. So the virgin birth is actually crucial. It's actually God's method by which he was going to change the course of mankind's history and provide salvation. You see, I was thinking about this and... You see, if Jesus, is only, if Jesus was only a man and he, and he lived a good life, if he was only one man and he gave his life, the value of that life is one man's life. He couldn't die to save us all. But if he's God, his value is all the lives and more of everybody who's ever born. So he couldn't just be a man. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. And so the virgin birth is really crucial. And so when we start eroding things, where do we stop? You see, when we we take God's word and pick and choose the bits we like and the bits we want to preach on and the the bits that, that people want to hear, we go down a course where it becomes difficult to have faith in anything. Because when you start taking bits away, what can you believe? And the truth is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And hundreds of years before, it was predicted that a child would be born of a virgin. And that child is God in human human form, in flesh. God made flesh. But the other thing is this, that you have to break this, this sin pattern that was coming down the generation since Adam. Because in order for there to be a perfect sacrifice, there had to be somebody who was sinless. Yeah. Otherwise, there's an imperfect sacrifice, and it's not enough to save us. So, that's my, th- that, you know, that's my thoughts on the virgin birth. But I think, you see, if, if I believe in a God, which I do, who can create the universe. And I look out there and I look at, at the grass and the fields and the trees and, and I look at you and I look at just like even the, the simplest things about any of us. A God who can do that has no problem with a virgin birth. So what we want to understand from this story is, is not, you know, that how, you know, why was a virgin birth it's to understand how mary received that miracle yeah so we're looking at how mary received that miracle so we can see those principles for them to work the miraculous in our lives and when 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 we when we understand that when we see those things the way god works then any situation we're facing any uh, issues that that we are facing any uh, 
relationship issues, any work issues, any health issues, it becomes subject to the kingdom. It becomes subject to God intervening in the course of your life, in the course of history, to change it and turn it around and make it new. And we want to know how that happens, don't we? Because otherwise we're just stuck with what we can do. And, and being stuck with what we can do gets us the same results as we've always had. And, and we, quite frankly, we need a change yeah. from the results that we've always been able to get from, from our own efforts. Because, honestly, we, we all get ourselves in messes following that route at times. We all get ourselves facing situations that are not our fault, but we cannot deal with in, in the, just our natural strengths and our natural abilities. And God is a God who breaks through into human life, into your life, into my life, into everybody in this room's life. He breaks through to change, to change what we're facing, to be there with us alongside, go through and overcome. And so we need to understand how that, 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 that lifestyle gets birthed in us. So let's go on with, with these verses. Uh, having come in, Come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, that's the angel, Gabriel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what sort of greeting that was. Now, when we read that as part of a Christmas service, we, we skim over that, but that's a really odd thing, it strikes me. Like, Let's, let's just imagine for the moment, there's, there's, there's an, the angel Gabriel, he stood here. And he says to you, highly favoured one, you are blessed among all men. And yet, Mary is troubled by that greeting. She can't, in other words, she can't get her head around it. That's right, she can't see herself as favoured. Now, that's really important because... That's an incredible greeting, but often we don't... Believers, Christians, have got in this mindset or this way of thinking, I call it religion, but I don't mean religion as in old cult churches because it's any sort of church. It's actually to do with the teaching, not the age of the building. And we've trained people to believe that God... He's looking down at them, judging them, looking out for every little bit of sin and everything they do wrong, pulling them up short, and he's just stood there waiting to tell you how bad you are so you can get on your face and and repent. And we bred that theology, we bred that way of thinking so that when we have to make a shift... Or, or God comes to us and goes, I want to bless you. You're highly favoured. My heart is for you. I'm going to come in and you, I'm, going to, I'm going to do incredible things in your life. We go, we, we just like, but you don't know what I've done wrong, God. You don't know uh, what, what my life is. You don't know how useless I am. You don't know how pathetic I am. You don't know all the things I've done. Well, of course he knows. I don't know. He knows. But... The thing is that we, we've, we've been changed in status if we're believers. Ephesians 1 verse 6 says that we have become accepted in the beloved. 
accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus. Okay, well, we're doing well this morning. I like interactive a bit. So Jesus is, is the beloved. We become accepted in the beloved. That word translated accepted is the same word there translated highly favoured one. It's exactly the same Greek word. So we have become highly favoured because we're in Christ. Our status, as far as heaven's concerned, is highly favoured. God's favour is on you. God loves you. He cares about you. He, he, he wants to be there for you. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. He wants to deliver you. He wants to change your life. And he wants your life to change the life of others because his favour rests on you and, he, and his blessing rests on you. Now, I do this in um, Rock Solid. And so many of you will have heard this story, but I was brought up uh, and believed for, I guess, more than half my Christian life. Now, the older I get, the lesser part of it is. By the way, I, I'm, I'm 27. <laughs> just in case you were wondering about the birthday thing. Um, but I was brought up with something that I title worm theology. Now, worm theology works like this. that There's nothing I can do in order to get myself saved because I'm never good enough. That's a given. That's true. That, that's absolutely right. And Jesus died for me so that I could be forgiven of my sins and receive eternal life. That's true. Say that's true. That's true. Yeah, okay. The reason I'm catching this, I'm not setting you up for anything. But then the way worm theology works or, or, or this approach of religion is it says, basically heaven's up there. It's at the end of my life. And my, my role now is to realise what a terrible person I have been and um, try and sort out my life and make it, it good and try harder and be better and and just really recognize what a miserable sinful person I am so that one day maybe if I try hard enough I might just be able to get my fingertips across the line to heaven before I die that's worm theology Thank you. But it's also prevalent in thinking in the body of Christ. Because we start with the premise that God is other than who he is. And we start with a saviour who didn't do enough. And we need to help him out by sorting ourselves out. And the truth is this, that the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the new creation we are is what enables us to walk in victory. And as we walk towards Christ and look to him, he changes us. You see, as long as we believe God is out to get us and he's there with wrath and, um, you know, he's somebody that we should be terrified of then we can't walk in the victory Christ has given. And, and so Mary, who was brought up with the whole religious system of law and thing, this really troubles her because that's not her picture of God. 
we're going to see, actually, she goes with it, which is just like the most incredible thing. But she'd been brought up. At this point, Mary was probably about 13. And she's already betrothed at 13. So she's a really young girl who all her life had seen the system of law and sacrifice and, and, and a wrathful, the idea of a wrathful God. So this is a shock to her. Now, what do we learn from that? This is what we learn from this. That if we are going to step in and conceive miracles in our life, we need to expect a positive approach from God, not a negative one. Our expectation needs to be that God's for us and not against us. And if God sees for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. But we need to start with a picture of an understanding of God that actually he's for us. He loves us, he cares for us, and he's wanting good things for us. So let's move on a bit. Uh, Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. So the angel says... Actually, Mary, understand the response, but you don't need to be afraid because actually you are favoured by God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, that's, that, that also, that's fantastic, isn't it? Doesn't that sound brilliant? Yeah. We, yeah, thank you. <laughs> we, we're, what we understand from that, you see, that's not new. When Mary hears that, that's not new. The thing that's new is she's included in it. You see, everything else that the angel Gabriel says there are prophecies that have already been spoken out in the Old Testament. That the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be, uh, he's going to be great and he's going to be called the son of the highest and, the Lord, and he's going to have the throne of his father David and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there'll be no end. Suddenly, something she's heard about all her life and everybody has heard about in her nation that the Messiah is coming. Suddenly, she's, going to, she's getting told the Messiah is going to be your son. And he's going to be the son of God. Isaiah 7.14 puts it like this. um, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name is Emmanuel. Who knows what Emmanuel means? Means God with us. Not a God, God with us. God made flesh. So what we can we learn from this in terms of how the kingdom manifests in our life? We can learn this, that God keeps his promises. You see, there are over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. Of those over 2,000 have already happened and been kept exactly the way they were spoken, just like this one is going to be. 
the remaining 500 or so all relate to Jesus coming back a second time. There is not one prophecy that should have happened by now that has not been kept exactly. There is not one word of God that has not been fulfilled exactly like God said it would be. And what does that tell us? It tells us you can trust God. It tells us that that if we take things to him that we need help on, we can trust. And it tells us that if we can find a promise in this word, then he's going to keep it. However impossible it seems for you in your situation, he's going to keep that promise. Paul says when he's uh, writing to Titus, in Titus 1 verse 2, he said, God who cannot lie. God doesn't lie. He, He... He's very precise, he's very exact, he keeps his promises. He's kept every single promise he's ever made and he isn't going to stop now. Just because you're facing something that you, you find impossible doesn't mean that he's going to stop and he finds it impossible. He, he delights in making the impossible possible. And he keeps every word he said. So if you can find that promise, if you can find a promise that applies to your situation in the word of God, God will keep that promise. Because he doesn't lie and he's kept every promise he's ever made. And those, few, those 500 or so prophecies relating to him coming back tell us he's coming back. Because yeah. at this point, 400 odd years, silence, all those promises hanging out there and all of a sudden God is sending. He's sending John the Baptist to prepare the way. He's sending the Messiah to come and save people and he's going to establish his throne and the increase of his government, there will be no end. This only ends one way. It ends with the kingdom winning. It ends with the kingdom right across the earth. It ends with the Messiah who is on the throne and we are part of his family and he's seated us with him right next to him and he's filled us with his spirit and he said that I will come again and we are going to reign together. How does Mary react to that? Well, she does what any 13-year-old girl would, which is, I don't understand because I haven't had sex with a man. How's this going to happen? <laughs> I have known not a man, as the, the King James put it. How can this be, since I do not know a man? Um, people have sort of tried to work around that. I find it really difficult to get any work around of that verse. She's basically saying, I haven't had sex. So how, um, how, how is this going to happen? Now, just going back to last week, you remember I talked about Zacharias? Zacharias also asked God a question. But he asked God a question with a very different heart to where the Mary is asking this. And what happened with Zacharias, because I, I didn't have time to do this last week and I got asked the question, why, why did God stop Oh, why did the angel Gabriel stop Zacharias being able to speak until John the Baptist was born? And the reason that he did that is to stop Zacharias continually speaking out his unbelief and negating the promise. You see, we can nullify the promises of God by our traditions and the things we say. 
And we need to understand that the actual kingdom of heaven is voice activated. I'm going to talk about that in the new year, but the kingdom of heaven is voice activated. And when we, when we speak out our unbelief and we operate from a place of unbelief, it stops the kingdom manifesting in our life. Mary, what she's doing is, and, and this is why it's so important, we read the Bible through the eyes of a God who loves us and not a God who's angry with us. Because what she's saying is, I don't understand how this is. I'm like, I'm a 13-year-old girl, and you're telling me I'm going to have a baby. How is this going to happen? You know, what, 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 what's going on here? Now, I think this is really interesting. And, and it's also really important how we receive miracles. Because what Mary is doing is she's asking God what the next step is. Now, you've got to remember that she's got grown up with all the stories of Abraham going off and trying to make the promise of God happen for himself by uh, sleeping with uh, their maid and gives birth to Ishmael, which caused problems ever since, right down the generations. Um, and we've got, to be, we've got to understand that's what she's grown up with. So she said, I don't understand how, how this is going to happen. And I don't want to make those same sort of mistakes that I've heard about that these other people made. So how's, how's this going to work? Because I don't want to give birth to an Ishmael here. I want, I want the Messiah that you're saying I'm going to give birth to. Well, the point's this, that in terms of how we see those miracles in our life that God is a next step person we don't like that what I mean by this is that we like to know how everything's going to happen when it's going to happen and preferably very quickly if not now and so can you give me steps one two three and four and tell me how it all pans out the way the kingdom works is other than the fact that, you, that there's, a, there's a destiny out there we're all going to see, which is when the Messiah comes back and the kingdom of heaven is established, the way God works in our life is to tell us what to do next. And he might tell you a couple of steps. Very rarely will he tell you three. You get step three when you've done step one or two. And the reason the kingdom doesn't manifest as much in our lives as it could do is we haven't done the last thing he told us to do. We're wanting the next thing. We're wanting that to happen in our life. But we haven't done the last one or two things he told us to do. And we haven't lived them. You know, for, for 10 years, we've been teaching here that you have to have the word in you. We've been teaching about how the word operates as a seed. We've been teaching about how you relate to God, that we've got free access to his presence. That, that when, we, when, we, when we pray, that he hears our prayers. Now, if we don't actually use that and do it, it's of no effect. And then we go, God, give me some new revelation. And he's going, I told you what to do. And you've not done the last one. Why should I give you any new revelation? Because if you carry on like this, you're going to mess up your life. I want you to learn the, the thing is that you have to be able to take the next step with me. Because I'm a God and our relation, I'm God who has established it that our relationship works by faith. Not by you knowing the entire plan so you can go off and try and do it yourself, but so you know the next step and we take it together. So that's how God works out his plans. Now, let's, let's, let's move on. 
Let's go back to this idea of, of God becoming human, God in the flesh. Now, you can see that all the way through the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 states it explicitly. It says, um, God was manifested in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And that, that's talking about Jesus. So how, how much clearer do you want that? Yeah? So I, I'm each week, well, maybe more than once a week, I'm... Uh, going and talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses that have a little board and have their magazines and books outside King's College. And when you get on this subject of who were Jesus, they will take you to John chapter 1 and they'll argue about what the, the, the word translated word means there and we get all like, you know, we argue with them and, and that's typically what happens. Um, they, you're never going to get anywhere with them because they've just got it completely wrongly translated in their Bible. But they don't have that one tran wrongly translated. They just don't have it in there. No. You see, God, you see, you can't change that one. God was manifested in the flesh. And it changes everything. And, and it's that that makes this all incredible that God who didn't have to do anything could have just wiped us out and started again loved us so much that he was prepared to step down out of heaven live in this sort of horrible thing that ages and gets tired and wears out and needs to work to provide and just has to sleep and he's restricted to one location and he steps down out of heaven and he inhabits flesh like that because he loves us and it's the only way he can rescue us. And because Jesus is God manifesting in the flesh, he said this, that I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the only way that you, are, you can get these what he's, re what he's saying now, I mean, we, we, again, all these things are difficult for us because they're familiar verses. But what he's saying is, I am the only source. I'm the only, I'm the only answer to any of these issues. I'm, I'm the only way that what's, what you need is provided. I'm the only way that life manifests in your life. I'm the only way that, that something beyond your natural abilities can intervene and change what's going on in your life. I'm the only way. There isn't anybody else. And, and what that tells me is that the only source of a miracle I can look to is God, is Jesus. That's, that's, that, there is no other source of, the, of a miracle in my life. He has what I need, and, and to receive what I need, I've got to go to him. Now, let, let's, let's move on really quickly. Verse 36. This is Gabriel tell, answering Mary's question about how is this going to happen. This is how the miracle is going to happen in your life, Mary. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. 
the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now, Elizabeth, your relatives, also conceived a son in old age. We heard about that last week. That's really encouraging to Mary because what this is saying is, I've seen, you, you, Mary, you, you've, you've seen and heard about this miracle that I've already done. That those relations of yours who couldn't have a baby, too old to have a baby, been barren all their lives, are now having a, having a child. And so he's encouraging her, lifting her faith to see the same thing in her life, to see a miracle in her life. And the way often we are encouraged to see miracles in our own lives is to give testimony of things that God's already done in our lives and in others' lives. Um, I meant to do this before the talk, but I'll do it now. Sherry, can you come and just briefly tell us what happened when you were out on the streets um, a couple of weeks back? We went out with Nathan Taylor, and I was put into a group with um, Emma and Stefan, and we were walking around Cambridge along with everybody else. Um, And first of all, we just started out. I said to Mark, I'm really out of my comfort zone on this. And we just started to bless people as we walked around Cambridge. And then I started to hug a few people in the doorway of WH Smiths and things like that happened. And we were walking around and we kind of got, a, we were blessing people and talking to people. And Stefan was, was giving words out to people, which was just amazing. Going up to people saying, oh, you've got a bad shoulder. And they would just look at him amazingly. And we were roughing a bit late, so we were running back. And I took him down and said, this is a part of Cambridge that nobody really likes to take anybody down, especially when you're an American tourist, because it's a bit smelly, because everybody wheezed down there, because they're down and out somewhere, wherever it were. And as we were walking down, we saw these three young boys on these um, trick bikes that you would do. And Stefan, if you can remember him from when he was here in the group, had a cool uh, skateboard. And he had his lovely hair and his cool skateboard and we walked in towards them and I said to him get your skateboard ready because I thought he was going to do a trick or something rather because I knew the spirit was in me was saying something was going to happen and Steph just looked at me and he just said no hang on a minute and we walked up to these three guys and he just said um, have any of you got any pain and then two of them immediately turned around and went yes so one young lad who was about 14 or 15 years old and one young lad said oh I've got a pain in my knee and the other one said oh I've got a pain in my neck so um, Stefan said, come, let me just put my hand on your knee. So he just put his hand on his knee, didn't say anything to him. And he said, OK, um, can you cycle down there? So the guy goes, oh, I can't cycle, my, my knee. That's why we stood here, my knee's gone. He goes, no, cycle. So the young lad cycled down the passageway, and then he came back. And as he was cycling back, his face was just beaming. And he said, hey, man, how did you do that? Because my, my knee's fine. And Steph didn't say anything, didn't do anything. He just kind of picked his skateboard up and we started to walk towards the third guy uh, who had a bad shoulder, a bad neck. And this guy pulled away. He pulled away. He said, no, I'm not having any of that. And the other guy saying, you know, it's, my pain's gone, my pain's gone. So the third guy was absolutely in shock, just stood there. And the other guy pulled away. And we just carried on walking very gently, very gently, walking along. And this guy called over. He said, hey, man, what did you do? What did you do? And Stefan just turned around and said, Jesus Christ loves you. Remember that. And we just walked on. And we just walked through the market square. And we were meant to be meeting up with everybody. And we were a bit late. And we kept blessing more people as we were walking along. Do you want me to say the last bit? 
So we were walking along and we were blessing people in the market square. We were never going to get back on time. And we stopped this man with a little dog and Stefan said to him, your back's really hurting. And he said, yes, it is. So he prayed on him and we walked on. And I remember saying to Stefan, isn't it strange? Because I was so, we were giving praise for the miracle. We were giving praise for that. I was saying, we've got to praise the Lord for this miracle. And I said to Stefan, isn't it sad how one person accepted the miracle and the other guy had a bad neck and he just pulled away. He didn't want to know. And I said, this is it's sad because in my life, I went to church with my friend and she only went because she fancied the drummer. She never got saved. And I've, I've always had Jesus, and she's turned, turned away from it. But we both sat at the same time in the same church. We had the same preacher. We had the same thing. Isn't it strange um, what you happen? And then as we're walking past, you can imagine in Cambridge now, it was the first day uh, everybody gets paid in the university. So everybody was packed, everybody rushing towards us with their shopping. And as we're walking past Marks and Spencer's, suddenly everything started to change. And I was just hit with the Holy Spirit, I think, in such an amazing way that I couldn't walk anymore. I had so much of it. So I grabbed hold of Stefan and I said to him, something funny's going on. And he just smiled at me. And he said to me, oh, it's okay, go with it, go with it. And then I saw people, but like I've never seen them before. I saw the beauty in people. And we were talking about art and things earlier on with Stefan, because he's an artist as well, as all the other things he does. And then this... It was just looking at people and the beauty of what's within you comes out. And I just started to cry at the joy of it. And I said to Stefan, what is this? Is this how God sees us? And he said, yes, this is how God sees us. This is how God sees you. He doesn't see the clothes, your hair, your age. He doesn't see any of that. He just sees the beauty within you. And it was so overpowering. I couldn't walk underneath of it. And I managed, I think I saw dawn, and then I kind of fell on top of Gemma, going to Gemma, what's happened? Oh, Gemma, I can't move. It was just amazing. But what it was, was the beauty in all of you. He doesn't look at you like you look at you. He doesn't look at us as we look at one another. He doesn't see anything negative in us. He just sees the beauty within you all. And I just think that you, you have to, to realize that because it's just so amazing. And it's, it's kind of changed the way that I look at everybody. So if I look at you and I'm smiling, it's, it's because I'm seeing something in you that, you know, it's just amazing. But that miracle that day was just amazing. And then we were talking about it, about the seed that young guys got, that um, Nathan was talking about planting seeds into people. He had a miracle that day. He can never, ever say that he didn't have it. He didn't have that healing. And what a story to tell the other two friends and that rest of their friends when they went back to school and their parents. Today I was healed in Cambridge. Amazing. Yeah? Thank you. Okay. Let's um, just... Pull this together now, because what we're going to see is how a miracle is received. Sherry was just saying that there's a key issue here, which is miracles, the, 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 the way the kingdom works in your life, the way God operates in your life, you receive. The difference isn't in what is out there. The difference isn't in, you know, we, we can all have the same experiences. We can all hear the same words. The difference is in receiving. One, can, one will receive, one doesn't. And that, that, that in, in turn, is dependent on what our heart is like. So, 
just look at that, that last line. With God, nothing will be impossible. Because I'm going to show you how the receiving works and what you need to do to play your part in the receiving. Because we've already said that God approaches us positively. Um, he keeps his promises and he's the only source of, of the miraculous. He's the only source of getting our lives sorted out. He's the only one with the ability. And Gabriel says this, with God, nothing is impossible. That, that must have been really comforting to Mary because he's just reminded her about the miracle with her, her relations. But when you, you look at what's been translated there, the Amplified puts it like this. So both translate in the original Greek. But what the Amplified does is it, it takes the word and it expands the meaning because we, we don't have as many words in our language as they, they had in Greek. And, and words mean slightly differently, so we can't get sometimes the exact. And the, the way the Greek works there, what it actually says is no word of God is without the power of fulfillment. So everything God has ever spoken carries its own power to be fulfilled. That's why nothing's impossible. Because he, when he says it, it becomes possible. Let me repeat that. When he says it, it becomes possible. Whether it actually happens or not depends on how we receive it. But because he said it, it's become possible. And what we see is there's three components here to receiving the miracle. There's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon Mary. There's the fact that no word of God doesn't already carry the own power for its own fulfilment. And there's this, this third aspect that Mary humbles herself and receives what the angel said. So there's something about what God's done. He's spoken the word. The Holy Spirit is the, the effective power that, that changes, that, that creates the miracle. And then there's something that Mary did, which was humbled herself and received the word. There's a receiving of it. Now, Mary, this 13 to 14-year-old girl, what she says is, let it be unto me, like you've said. I, I, I will receive that. Now, just think what she's taking on at that point. She's taking on the fact that for all her life, everybody's going to say that she had sex before marriage with somebody that wasn't her husband. All her life, she's going to carry that. And so she's saying, I receive what you have for me, God. So if you want to receive a miracle, if you want the things of God that he has said in his word, then we need to be humble and let that word take root in our heart. We've got to receive the word in us. When I say we receive the word, Mary basically received it for nine months because she hasn't, you know, she has a normal pregnancy. But we, we have to build in, or as part of our life, a way of letting the word of God settle in our heart and change our hearts. Because as that word gets planted in our heart, that's what the Holy Spirit takes and creates a miracle with. So there's the word, the Holy Spirit, and us receiving it, letting it settle in our hearts. 
So what can we learn from that? One of the things we, we can really learn is that when we hear God or he speaks something to us or you know some, I might say something useful occasionally and it impacts you or you read something God's word is to really let that settle in your heart because we you know I said last week we live in this fast food generation we're always wanting to move on to the next thing and part of the process of the way the kingdom works in us is to let settle what we've already received and the way we do that is we keep filling our heart um, and thoughts with the word of God. There's uh, somebody who was part of faith life for quite a long time and, and at the time they left, this is, this is what they said. They said, uh, I don't need any more word. I, I've got all the word I'll ever need and I just want the experience. So I'm going after the experience now. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. I don't want to listen to any more sermons. I'm just going for the experiences. And, and that's what they said. And the, the sad thing about that is that they didn't understand how the kingdom worked. And it's disappointing for me because I've been trying to teach how the kingdom worked. But you see, it works because the word is pregnant with the power to produce the miracle, produce the things that the words have set out to do. And, and you never exhaust the word of God because it's alive and living and, it, and it's always working on you. So when you say, I don't need any more word, what you're actually saying, I've achieved perfection. And, and I don't believe anybody's achieved that. You see, we all need the word. We all need to hear the word. We all need to make that commitment to it. And, and some of us, well, we might not like lead, reading word. Well, you know, one of the things that, that I do and Nathan does, in fact, he does it a lot more than me, he does it four or five hours a day, is he listens to the audio in his ear with an earplug all the time. Just the Bible being read to him. I don't know how he does that. It's an American accent. I mean, I can't do that. <laughs> um, I've got an English accent version. But you can get them. You can get them for free. Yeah. If you can't read it, just there. And, and there is something that is you let things, the, the word of God settle in your heart, the Holy Spirit is then able to take that word and empower it and energize it in your life. I don't understand that how that works, but that's how the kingdom works. I don't need to understand how the kingdom works. I just need to understand it operates that way and participate with it so I can receive, receive it in my life. I don't have to be able to explain everything, but God has told me that if I get the word in there, the Holy Spirit can take it, energize it, and produce the miraculous in my life. So that's what I'm going to focus on, and that's what you know, we need to focus on if we, if we want to see more of, of God in our lives and less of our own toil and toil and effort in our lives because he can do stuff we can't and and we really need to understand that he can do stuff we can't so we need to stop trying to do it and just spend all our effort getting the word in there so the holy spirit can latch onto it so he can do it it's much easier the amount of time we waste continuing to make a mess of the things we've already made a mess of when god can sort it we could spend that time getting the word in us so he can sort it how logical is that? But we've got to do it. You see, the difference is people don't do it. And then they go, well, God doesn't do it in my life. He didn't come through for me. He didn't do this. I, I've never seen it. Well, you won't because there's a way the kingdom works. Are, are you getting this? Is this helpful? Okay. I'll finish with a little bit of revelation for you. The word 
The moment Mary receives the word, the angel departs. So she says, be it unto me. And he goes, he's gone. Just out of the building. Elvis has left the building. Gabriel has gone. He's exited, no autographs. He's left. Because she'd received the word that he brought. Now, the word, translated word, is a Greek word, spora. A um, derivative of that word is sperm. Okay, spora, so, so plants have spores, we have sperm, animals have sperm. It, but in Greek, the two words go together. And what that's saying is that that word has power in it. It has the power in it to produce life. But it needs the egg. It needs to be fertilized. The power of the Holy Spirit is what takes the word and brings the life to bring to fruition the full-grown miracle. Are you getting this? So we can do something about the word. We can't do anything about the Holy Spirit bit. Because he he needs the word to do something with it, because the word contains within it the ability to do what God said it would do. So, how did Mary receive? Well, instead of man providing the seed, the spore, the sperm, God provided it. What was the seed that Jesus came from? The word. So, the seed that Jesus came from, was the word. And the Holy Spirit took the word and fertilised Mary's egg. Okay? So that's how all that chain from Adam got broken. On that side is the word. On this side is a human egg. Fully God, fully man. Now, you've got to get this. So that explains to you now, hopefully... You're going, oh, I see that now. That all that bit that you didn't have a clue why John was saying it in the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh. And the darkness didn't know him. And all that, that stuff. The word became flesh. You see, words... When the Bible talks about word, it's not just blottings of ink on a page. It's the evasion of the kingdom of heaven into your life. That's why we cannot take scripture lightly. That's why we can't just preach our favorite bits. That's why we can't change it around to suit us. That's why we can't pick and choose bits that we don't like and are too difficult. We have to take it wholesale. We have to put it in there and then God can use it. We don't always have to understand it, but we do have to get it in. I know that's not good for pastor to tell you, but you don't always have to understand it. It's helpful if you do, but the understanding can come later. Your job's to plant it and receive it. Mary didn't understand how it could be and probably had no idea what the next nine months or the rest of her life held for her, but she received it. You see, you... well. Any person would be crazy to expect a baby without any intercourse, wouldn't they? And yet we expect to give birth to miracles in our life without any intercourse with the word. It doesn't make sense. No, no intercourse, no baby. No word, no miracles. 
No kingdom of heaven manifested in our life. And why do I do this? Because I believe that, that God is restoring to his body that desire to hear his word. Because I believe the last 20 years we've walked away from his word and substituted it with organisation and events and programmes. And we need to get back to these word. We are a word preaching church. We are not changing to be a programme presentation event church. We will do events, but that's not the point. The point is the event supports the word. Because we live by the word. That's why God gave us it. And if you plant that word, it'll produce two things. It'll produce the kingdom in your life because the Holy Spirit will take it and bring about the kingdom in your life. By the way, that's the norm for a believer. The norm for a believer is not to have somebody pray for them for a miracle. The norm for a believer is to receive the miracle themselves because they have the word planted in them and the Holy Spirit brings it about in the life. So they plant the word, they believe the word, the Holy Spirit takes that and produces a miracle in the life. However, what Paul says is most believers are in that place. And, and I guess most of us, including me, would put our hands up and say most of the time we're actually not quite in that place. So what do we do? Well, we find another believer where God's planted the word to pay for us because he's going to produce that miracle because he's got the word planted and the Holy Spirit is going to take what he's got in him and bring it about in your life. That's what being ministers means. That's how we minister to each other. You know, um, we, we, the Bible tells us to lay hands on and the sick will be healed. You know, if any of you is ill, call the elders of the church and then anoint you with oil and the prayer will save the sick person and make them well. So as we plant the word, it produces two things. It produces the miracle in our life, but it also puts there the things that we need to be able to bring the kingdom and the life of God to others. But the key is we need the word. How do you have intercourse with the word? A little bit less emotive word is interaction. By the way, I'm finishing with this. You do that by thinking about it. There's a fancy word for that called meditation. Let me demystify that for you. Meditation in biblical terms means to mumble it to yourself. <coughs> bizarrely, the, the way the Bible looks at, or God looks at meditation is people who talk to themselves. <laughs> we think they're crazy, but God thinks that's the way you do it. Yeah. To talk to yourself, to, to play those things over in your mind, to talk to yourself, to speak the word to yourself, to keep on hearing it. And, and that's how it gets interacted. That's how you, you plant it there. That's how you receive it. 